want to say thank you, Lord, this morning. Be glorified and be honored in the life of your people. May your word be fulfilled in our lives this morning. And may we not return back the same way we came. Thank you. Because you've been good to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I know many of you will be wondering what kind of song was that. I told you that's when I was an American in a Baptist church. But now I'm a Nigerian from Aruchuku, so that's why the difference is there. However, this morning, we're going to continue in this series that pastor had begun, The Waiting Room. When pastor asked me to minister today, he asked me to minister on something that I am the most qualified person in this world to minister on. And you're going to see how good and how qualified I am in the waiting room. I am more qualified than anybody else here. I am more qualified than anybody in the world. I have so much titles and degree. I don't know if any of you have seen ministers or pastors or men of God from Africa. The kind of title they wear. You see Reverend Archbishop Bishop Engineer Lordship before you come to the name. That's how qualified I am in this area of waiting room because I'm so qualified that I always extend my waiting room. But this morning, it is not God's own desire for us to extend our waiting room. How not to extend the period you need to spend in the waiting room. How not to miss the divine timing of God during your waiting period. I have been a complainant. That's why I told you I'm qualified because I complain too much. I'm very qualified because in the waiting room, one thing you don't do is to ask the question, why? And I hold degrees in asking why. There's a known doctor that everybody goes to all the time. On emergency, they call him. It doesn't matter what time of the day they call him. He will respond. One night... A young child was involved in an accident. And they called the doctor. And he went into his only good drivable vehicle that he has. And he had two options to get to the hospital. One is a longer route. But another one is a very short distance. But he has to go through a very bad neighborhood. 
Nobody likes to go through the neighborhood because you can be carjacked at any time. But he said, anyway, I need to go because of the life of the child is at stake. He went through the bad neighborhood. While he was waiting at the traffic light, he was carjacked. Somebody on a hoodie with a bandana and a pants with different colors pulled him out of the car and took his vehicle. And in his car, his cell phone. Now he needed to get to the hospital, but there's no way for him to get to the hospital because he don't have a means to call a taxi. He needed to walk a long distance to find a payphone. On getting to the payphone, he discovered that the payphone was not working because it's in a bad neighborhood. People break the phones and collect the coins. He had to walk another long distance that night alone to find a place where he could make a call to the hospital and then call it cab. The taxi later came and picked him up. But by the time he got to the hospital, he had spent an hour, 50 minutes for a distance that should have taken him 10 minutes. He burst into the emergency room and ran straight. And the nurse said, Doctor, I'm sorry, it's too late. The child died 20 minutes ago. But he said, if you want to go to the chapel, the father of the child is right there at the chapel. When he walked into the chapel, behold, who did he see? The same man who carjacked him happens to be the father of the child that he was coming to save. The young man died. And when he saw the man who carjacked him, he asked him, is this your son? He said, yes. I said, do you recognize me? He said, no. There's a man who carjacked some time ago couple of minutes ago I am that doctor I was coming here to save your son the young man looked at him and said what do we do now he said we cannot do anything because you not only extended your waiting period you extinguished the purpose of your waiting period This morning, this is not a message to preach, but it's a topic to live by. The waiting period in our waiting room is not a message that just needs to be preached because we wanted to preach. It is a message that we have to be calm. There are many sides and many angles of a waiting room. Some have a waiting room of five minutes, some 20 minutes, some five hours, some two days, some five days. 
some many years. But the question, what do we do while in the waiting room? What is it that we must not do in order to extend our waiting period or even extinguish the purpose of our waiting period? This morning, quickly, let's go to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5. We are going to look at from verse 1 to verse 16. In the New King James Version, Dr. Sinclair, you are the best. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria. Could you hold on one second? It says, now, Naaman. What is the meaning of now? Can you guys help me out? Right now. So we are talking about now. To see how many of us are in Naaman's position. How many of us are in the shoes of Naaman? How many of us are Naaman ourselves? Because the Bible, when it says the word noun, is talking about now. And everybody that is living in this moment is a part of the now. He said, now, Naaman, continue, Dr. Sinclair. Commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids. Could you hold on one second? Why would God spend time Talking about the greatness of Naaman. Talking about he was the commander of the Syrian army or Aram. Syria is the same name as Aram. It used to be called Aram before it became Syria. Why will God spend time in talking about the bio, the profile of this man? How great Naaman is or Naaman was. That he was the commander. He was a great man. He was a mighty man of valor. In fact, he was a war hero. And that he had great respect from the king. But then the dynamics of Naaman changes when the Bible says, but he was a Leper. leprous. So everything that God has spoken about him had a change in his life. And the Bible said because he was what? A leprous. Can you continue? I'm going to come back to that right quick. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus says the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. 
So he departed and took him, and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, and you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when, you say to you, when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times into Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Thank you so very much. Naaman, as the Bible explained, who and how great the man was. But what we are going to look in the life of Naaman, there are two things that we have to learn from Naaman. Sometimes you have a weakness in your life. Sometimes you have a disease that you're unaware of or you are aware of it, but it has never stopped you from your vision. Sometimes you have a limitation that is in your life that nobody else has told you or people have told you about the limitation, but you have never paid attention because you have no solution to it. At the time, Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army. You guys have learned in the scripture that the leper or people who were leprous 
never mixes together with other people. The lepers were always kept aside, like kind of quarantined to a place. But here is a man who is a leper. That his limitation did not stop him from achieving what able-bodied people could not achieve. Here was a man at that time, if you're a leper, and you have to come into a community where people who are clean are, you begin to scream as you come in, unclean, unclean, unclean. So people know that an unclean person is coming because they believe that his uncleanliness is contagious. Imagine today if we can go along with our limitation or our weakness or our sin with us, whatever problem we have. I'll give you an example. Maybe you like to steal or maybe you don't steal, but when you pass, something is missing, you know. You really don't steal, but anytime you come around and go, something is missing. So every time you come into Walmart, you say, I don't steal, but when I come and go, something is missing. You announce or you are the altar about to wed your wife or your husband. And you say, well, I didn't do anything. I just cheated a little bit last night. Or I'm a thief. I'm a liar. That's the kind of thing that he saw that was a part of his life. But what happened upon him when the opportunity came to transform his life in his waiting room? The Bible says a young girl that was a captive, that was a slave. We're not going to deal more on her because her case is so fascinating that I am not qualified to talk about her. A girl who is a slave, who should have been concerned about herself, rather she was concerned about her master. A girl who is in her waiting room that should have used the opportunity to bargain and say, listen, if you will set me free, I'm going to do this for you. A girl who chose not to look inwards, but to look outside and to look up. A girl who chose not to complain. A girl that knew despite the fact that she has a problem that she must share the gospel of God. A girl who was in her waiting room knowing what it takes to become a slave. Knowing what it takes to have been taken by force out of your home. Imagine any of you, your child, is taken away from you forcefully. How would you feel? How do you think the life of that young girl was? Yet, she chose to share the gospel in her waiting room. I said, I'm not qualified, so let's go back to Naaman. Let's pick up the characters of his life that is very similar to mine. Mr. Complainant. 
And then the Bible, let's pick it up from when he was going to meet Elisha. The Bible says he took a lot of things. Clothings. Money, whatever else he could lay his hands on. He took it so he can give it to the man of God. In our waiting room, we think we can always exchange God's grace with physical things. We believe that only when we give God money, that's when we get our blessings. We believe that as I'm going to church this morning, I'm only going to get my blessing if I can give God something. How not extend your waiting period? He gathered everything he could lay his hands on. And then he went. When he got to the man of God, the man of God sent a message to him. Now remember the Bible talked about that Naaman was a great man. When a commander, a general, a five star, or do you guys have ten star in U.S. Army? I don't know where it have. Whatever star they are, the highest in authority comes to your place. He expects to be seen. He expects to be respected. He expects people to come out and honor him. And the man of God sent a message to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan River. The Bible says, he was enraged. He was angry. He was angry because he felt insulted. Anytime things provoke us, it only provokes us to bring out what is already inside us. Provocation only brings out what is already inside you. You said, oh, excuse my French. No, there's no French. It's inside you. Excuse my finger. No, 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 no. It's already inside you. The pride, the arrogance, the power, the authority that he commands, we carry the same thing into the presence of God and expect God to honor our physical human abilities and achievements. He came to the man of God and he told him, go and wash. The Bible says he was angry, he was outraged and he said, let's go. He said, I thought that he will I want to share it with you this morning. What you and I think about God at the end will always be wrong. Except you obey what God himself says. He said, I thought. He had a preconceived notion. He had an idea how God should attend to his case. 
If you know how God will attend to you, why are you coming to God at all? I thought we have a tendency to believe and to think and to figure out how our situation will be taken care of while in our waiting room. God, I want you to lay hands on me. Lord, I want you to give me miracle water. Lord, I want you to put anointing oil in my life. And when we do not get our way, the first thing happens, we become disappointed. Many of us have been in our waiting room for a long time with continuous disappointment because our hopes have been in what we expect rather than our desire to be in what we expect but our hope to be in Christ. His hope was upon his healing. And when he could not get his way, how many of us have a temper tantrum when we cannot have our ways? Even in the church, in our families, with our children, with our husbands, with our wives, when we can't have our ways, what is built in us begins to come out. Anger is nothing but a revelation of what you are made of in the inside. He was outraged. And he chose to go home to prolong his waiting time in his waiting room rather than simple taking the first step in obedience. And he went for that to say. I thought he would come out. Wave his hands. Perform his magic. Because we all love drama. We don't like the truth. We love drama. We love dramatization. When people come either on TV or in different places and tell you all sorts of things, $21 in 21 days, you become a $21 million millionaire. Buy this handkerchief and wave it and the devil will go mad. We love the drama. He was expecting to see a spectacle. He was not expecting to encounter God. In your waiting room, you can encounter God in any means. You can encounter God through the word of your child. You can encounter God through the people you don't expect. He had a preconceived idea of how God must deal with him. He was expecting a spectacle. And when he did not come, he became disappointed. In our waiting room, we're always disappointed. I'm able to speak on this because I'm qualified. I have been disappointed many times in the waiting room. 
Because I believe this is how God must do it. And when he didn't do it that way, what happens? I become disappointed. I become discouraged. I become disillusioned. Many people today do not want to come to church because they are discouraged. If you're coming to church to see the pastor or to be acknowledged by the pastor, then you have not had an encounter with Christ. He became disappointed. He was angry. He's, he's everything the Bible was talking about from the beginning. How great a man he is. Everything that he has accomplished. Those things were insulted. And he said, I will rather go than stay here and be insulted in order to get a healing. And the Bible says he chose to go. But thank God for men who surround themselves with people who are willing to tell them the truth. In your waiting room, surround yourself with men and women who can tell you the truth. Not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. Surround yourself when your wife tells you the truth. The wife is always right. Surround yourself. Mommy is always right. It is not what you want to hear. Surround yourself with people who are not seeking what they will benefit from you, but what God will do in your life. They came to him. And they used the word, Father. It was very intriguing. I was expecting them to have called him Master. I was expecting him to have called him Commander. I was expecting them to call him with some military terms, but they called him Father. If he had asked you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more? He says, go to Jordan and wash. Go to Jordan and wash. Every time you surround yourself with yes members, oh yes members, people who tell you what you want to hear, you are not willing to get out of your waiting room. They will continue to tell you what you want to hear in order for them to benefit what they continuously benefit from you. They said to him, Master, if he had asked you to do something, a big deal, would you not have done it? How much more going to wash in Jordan? And the Bible says, before then, he said to them, are the rivers, the water in Syria not better than that of Jordan? Yes, they were cleaner. The two rivers he mentioned in Syria were called the Sea of God because they were clean and crisp. 
But I tell you this. Jesus never came for the clean ones. He came for the ones that are dirty. And when he spat on the floor and used the mud and put on somebody's eyes, the mud was not clean. But where the presence of God is, there the healing, the deliverance are looking for is. He said to him, go and wash in Jordan. And we know the meaning of the word Jordan is what? Descending river. The Bible says it's a muddy water. It's dirty. But inside the dirty water dwells the presence of God waiting for him. Waiting for him to come. And then the Bible says, so he went. In our waiting room, as we hear the word of God, we must take the first step in obedience. In order not to elongate or prolong our period that we spend in the waiting room. When the word of God comes, it might come in a form that doesn't make sense. Every act of obedience to the word of God has a corresponding action of performance by God. He said, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. He expects the first step to be made by us. And then the Bible says he went to the river. Now, before a general who is wearing army uniforms, wearing his boots, wearing everything that he was made of, in order for him to dip inside Jordan, he must first strip himself of those things who has made him what he is. <laughs> he will not dip with his gun. He must first become vulnerable. He will not dip inside the river with his shoes. He will not dip in with all his meadows and everything. He will do what? He will derobe himself. So everything that we have put on ourselves that we have felt makes us who we are. When we have to encounter God, we have to keep those things to the side. He had to remove all those things from A to Z. <laughs> he became an ordinary person. He wasn't dipping into the river at that moment as a general. Because he saw himself as a general, as a commander of the army who is leprous. But God saw him as a leper who happens to be a commander. And God will have to deal with him in the first person basis as a leper. Everywhere in the scripture that God has dealt with people, he dealt with them based on the purpose why they have been in the waiting room in the first times. He dipped in seven times. And when the Bible says when he came out, his body was like that of a little boy. He didn't have wrinkles. He didn't have all the challenges 
he could have had if his body had grown naturally the way it would have been. Probably his hairs may have been like that of Ledea Graham. Falling off. Or grown like the one like Melvin Daniel. But it was not so. He had it. He came out of the water and his body was clean. And now he returned back to the man of God. And then his idea, his thought about God changed. He said, now I know. Before he said, I thought. So what you think about God is different from when you encounter God, you now begin to speak about God from the position of your encounter with him. It's no more about talking about God. You will not be speaking God because you have encountered him. He changed from his idea, his belief about God, but now he has a face-to-face -face encounter with God. The transformation, his language changed. His view changed. Now I know that there is no God in any other part of the world but in Israel. And then he said, accept these things from me. In this day and age, Naaman is a perfect person for a church looking for money. Because women of God would have easily received it from him without thinking twice. Man, this is the opportunity we've been looking for. And now we have millions of dollars. But because Elisha was a servant of God, to receive anything, he had to inquire from God. He said, as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not receive anything from you. Because he got it free. Freely you have received, freely you shall give in our waiting room. There are many sides to a waiting room. I don't know what side of the waiting room you are. You might be on the side that is prolonging your stay in the waiting room. Or you might be on the part that is responding to the word of God in their life. But whatever happens, we must discover the purpose of your waiting room. Until you discover the reason God has kept you in the waiting room. From the waiting room, you go into what? The theater where God is going to perform surgery upon your life. For those who are doctors and nurses, have you seen surgery performed on anybody in the waiting room? Anybody? Let me try me out. Yes? Oh, no. Okay. That's good. From the waiting room, you are then wheeled into the operating room. It's time for us to move from the waiting room into the operating room where God will now walk upon our lives. Where God will turn our night into day. Where God will turn our sadness into joy. Where God will transform families. It is time for every couple, every family 
to move from the waiting room into the operating room. 